All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. Welcome to the newest edition of the podcast. Today, we are doing Side One of Asylum. I know it's been a while since shows, but that's just the way real life works sometimes. We hope you enjoy this one. Ace has a new album out. I hope you all check it out. Hopefully we'll be doing a show on that soon. And we're doing some restructuring here at Podkiss Central. You'll hear about that more as we go on. So here we go. Side one of Asylum. You know, because I was a tough heterosexual metal person in the 80s. Weren't we all? It was it's funny, I have my pink in spandex and my red headband on right now. So it's just, you know. Yeah, but you wear it well, though. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can't fault you for that. You're like Klinger on MASH. You just have a natural... <laughs> well, life's a trial by fire. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no. Welcome once again to your KISS Audio fanzine for your ears. I'm Ken Mills, and we're joined by Matt Porter. Hello. Chris Sinzak. Hello. BJ Graham. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. And Mr. Chris Karam. Oh my god, you said it right. I don't know how to respond. <laughs> Howdy, podcasters and podcast land. Today we're going to be talking about Asylum, the 13th KISS studio album. It features the debut elite guitarist, Bruce Kulick, who played on Animal Eyes, he ghost guitared on the Lonely is the Hunter track, and filled in for guitarist Mark St. John, Mark Norton, for their European and American Animal Eyes tour, and officially replaced Mark St. John in December of 1984. He was the band's third lead guitarist, and since the departure of Ace Frehley in late 1982. The new lineup at the time of Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Eric Carr, and Bruce Kulick would last for six years until Carr's death in November 1991. Let's kind of set the stage as to what was going on. This album came out uh, in September of 1985. It says, it says here, September 16th, 1985. When you think of 1985, what's the first thing that pops into your mind, Matt Porter? See, that's, I, I remember this came out. I thought it was September 86. No, 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 you're right. September 85, because I'm going into high school at the time. Mm. So, it was, uh, so it was my senior year of high school was 1985, because I graduated in 86. So that's right. I don't know why I had an 86 in my mind. but the uh, So that's for me, that's the thing. This was uh, senior year of high school. And Chris Sinzak, what are your thoughts of the music climate at the time? My co-host and I just did a 1984 year in review episode we recorded in um, I was think t- going back, 84 was like when the Twisted Sister videos came out, that transferred me basically from a pop fan into a rock and metal fan. So when I think of this, I th- that era, I think of a lot of neon, a lot of pop, a lot of, you know, it was the it was middle of the 80s. It was, you know, it, it was kind of, I mean, I, I look back on it as a good period in America, um, but a lot of brightness and, of course, Kiss was going right along with that trend. A lot of... Uh, pop metal not a really not very much of a dark time but uh it was a fun time for me bj what about you yeah heavy metal and hard rock were very mainstream and popular at the time which you know you could the good old days i guess 
when rock and roll in America actually existed. <laughs> you know, it's it's strange. Uh, I think back to that to those times, and they were fun times. I remember being in a band and doing stand-up comedy. It's sometimes the same those time? The, yeah, sometimes they were the same thing. You just didn't realize it. Uh, <laughs> when you had to wear more makeup and hairspray for. But uh, out in the uh, Laurel, Maryland uh, area of the country, out there by D.C. and Hammerjacks. But I remember all the fun, and like Kix was a big band out there, and this was the time of Motley Crue's Theater, Pain, and Twisted Sisters Come Out and Play, Black and Blues Without Love, Rats, Invasion of Your Privacy, Docking Under Lock and Key, uh, Loudness. Remember Loudness, Gene Producer? Oh, yes. I saw that. They opened for ACDC, and it was hilarious. It was the era of the heavy metal half hour. Yes, right. that's yes. what we got on. I, I I remember after school I would come home and watch the heavy metal half hour. <laughs> wow. Well, I think that that's really one of the things that you almost can't go without saying about that time. MTV ruled whatever was going on. Like yeah. as far as like, and I'm sure we're going to get into what they were wearing and this and that and the other. But MTV was creating everybody that was popular and the styles and you know everything that was coming out. I think for the most part. It's funny if you were if you look back now, if you weren't aware of MTV at the time, I don't think you could really grasp what was going on as far as MTV really controlled music at that point. Because if you could have a big video, you could be a big band and it was it was creating so many acts that were all of a sudden like overnight because they had a cool video. And I think now you look and you go MTV sucks and it's like but at the time MTV was the real kind of center of it all i think and and it was like uh you know you had you didn't really care so much about i think even the radio everybody just wanted an mtv big hit video well it it kind of seemed like radio followed mtv back then. absolutely i think mtv and especially that's you know when we get into talking about how bad they look every band looked like that you know i mean kiss looked terrible but everybody was wearing the spandex and the big hair and i mean and you got to think about it. Look, I think we're all kind of the same age, but I mean, there was more girls in tight costumes and spandex and big hair. Oh, it was yes. kind of look. It's a great time to be a horny young dude because I mean, every video was filled with chicks in bikinis, and they're running. On, look, they're all on TV. They weren't in my house, but hey, you know, it's uh, <laughs> and it's. I think that's uh, really when you. To put it in that context, you know, you think about, you know, but that's one of the discussions that we have all the time. Well, when did you become a Kiss fan? But, I mean, you look back at it now, and a lot of bands that maybe weren't, I don't know, prepared necessarily to be faces of rock, you know, you could get away with being a little uglier when you didn't have to lip sync your song. But it really put a lot of people, you know, a lot of bands, you suddenly had to be forced to dance around and have a certain look and, you know... It was just a a sign of the times, really. Well, and another way that bands got around it was you had the one guy who, like, let's take Rat, for example. To me, there was, like, two guys in that band that looked cool. There was the singer and Warren Demartini, right? And Robin Crosby, he kind of looked like this big, uh, well, this big (laughs) football player. You know, he looked as ridiculous as Gene did, as far as I'm concerned. Right. Was in the, in the D. Snyder sort of way, kind yeah, of a big yeah. guy, you know. But, Football player in a choo-choo. But right, like, right. But, but while Stephen Piercy's dancing around and leg kicking and all that, pretty much all the other guys did was point. 
Juan Crucier, the bass player, had all these ridiculous stage moves that he well, used to yeah, do. The, which brings the me to my other point. Yeah, and that's the over-slapping of your bass and, like, bending it in ways that does not <laughs> Let, let us not forget the king of that, though, Rudy Sarzo. Yes. Oh, Rudy Sarzo was the king of that. Started with Ozzy, went through Quiet Riot, White Snake. I mean, that guy just, you know, rode through the 80s on those bass moves. Mm-hmm. And, all those, you know, things. And, and of course, the most memorable thing about him on bass is that he would lick his finger and then play the bass. Yes. So, he still does it, too. I saw him with Queensryche last year yeah. and he was still doing it. So, folks, <laughs> this, is the, this is what was going on at the time. We've taken you back as far as we can. Just picture cute girls, guys wanting to be cute, and guitars. Okay, so that's, we're setting <laughs> the and table. And spandex. At this point, Kiss had already unmasked. They'd pulled their card, their big card. They laid it on the table, and it played well. They had Animal Eyes, which came out after Lick It Up, and they rode that wave. And I think that they were kind of to a point where, now what do we do? And as Matt was mentioning, MTV was the gateway to America, and... I think that they thought that we should go more glam. And it had mixed results, I'd say. To me, Eric and Paul fared pretty well. Of course, Eric, you couldn't see anything but that massive amount of hair. So he was kind of like Animal from the Muppets and his big hair. And Paul, he's a natural for this. But Gene and Bruce, not so much. Uh, Any thoughts on that? I remember looking at the Asylum tour book and I took one look at Gene with his, you know, cheek painted with rouge, and I'm like, this is ten times scarier than the demon. Mm-hmm. This is just, I mean, I'm looking like, what is this? I mean, this was granted, this was probably a few years after the fact, because I, I did go to that tour, but I'm like, oh my god, what were they thinking, you know? <laughs> it, it, and like I said, this, is made, this might have been five years after the fact, but yeah, it's not a look that has aged well, and, you know, but it was, I guess it was in keeping with the times. I, I when I look back at this I think of I think of and we'll get to the videos but I I think of the the uh tears are falling video and uh I was gonna this I was a ham even back then when I was a kid so it was a couple of years after this album came out I wanted to do we used to do lip syncing at the uh talent show at school uh-huh. and I got one of my friends and I said I want to lip sync to tears are falling and he's like okay but I don't know anything about kiss so what does the video look like and I showed him the video, and he just looked over at me and said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Didn't happen. <laughs> Thankfully wow. so. <laughs> well, you know, in a lot of those pictures, I think when they had that really super heavy makeup, they were still, I think, going with the idea that when you're playing to a big arena, and even though they're not playing to as many people during the 80s maybe, but it's that heavy stage makeup kind of thing. Like Gene, yeah, has it caked on, you know, but it's like I think they were still going for the idea that you have to project all the way to that guy in the billionth row and you're putting on the heavy makeup. And I think probably psychologically there was still some sort of that you had to have that prep of doing the makeup, maybe. I don't know because, I mean, you know, it was something that you – they were – they did seem to wear heavier makeup than uh, – than most of the even the other 80s uh glam bands but the uh but yeah i think it's when you look at the videos even now has everybody read paul's book right yeah yes 
So even Tears Are Falling, a lot of that stuff, it is Paul Stanley's solo album. He's the one who really is the most comfortable in front of the camera, who takes the center stage, obviously, and everything. I think Paul, more than any of them, was probably relieved to just be able to go out there in a jeans and a T-shirt and be able to now they could go to the award shows and you can be on the red carpet and you can be out with your stylish you know jacket and no shirt on underneath and it's uh you know uh i think in a lot of ways was freeing because they could get away from having to always have the makeup and i think that paul more than any of them seemed to really enjoy it well matt i'll i'll say this one thing before we get talking about the music uh if you take a look at any teenage girl when they first start putting on the makeup it takes them about a good four years to really find the look that they're comfortable with <laughs> and the same goes with the members of kiss sure they were experts at putting on makeup but right. that was kabuki kiss makeup right it's different when you're putting on like you know hey could you hand me the rouge paul you know it's, <laughs> it's a little bit different i mean you look at some of the pictures from the lick it up era and they have so much makeup on at times that they look like deers in headlights. They just look like they're like <laughs> right. robot faces or something because there's no, there's so much makeup on there that it's covering up their actual skin color. And so anyhow, this was also during the period where they started really following other bands and doing what they were doing. And I think a big what I noticed about this, if you look at Motley Crue during the Theater of Pain video mm-hmm. era, I think they took a lot of cues from Motley Crue because Motley really glammed it up for that era. And I think Kiss was like, well, this is selling for them, so yeah, we'll try to do it, it so too. much better. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Motley Crue pulled off that look a lot better. And like I think I said it to Chris earlier before we started up, Gene's look was basically Maud of Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> I say, like, which one is Blanche then? <laughs> well, there's that picture of Kiss from like '73 before they started yes. uh, wearing the white and black makeup. Uh, I think Gene has like peroxided hair, you know, and yep. and they look almost exactly like the Asylum era. In that picture, they're wearing a ton of makeup. You know, right. and that was the era of, like, the New York Dolls and stuff. Right. So, Absolutely. You know, Motley Crue were taking all their cues from Kiss, <laughs> not the other way around. No, but, Motley Crue was selling millions from that Theater of Pain era, and that was their look. I mean, they... Right, I, yeah. But I like, think Kiss was taking their cues from yeah. Motley Crue at that point. But to me, I've always looked at it like uh, Rap, for example, they looked like Road Warrior meets Glam. Mm-hmm. Like they had like the torn fishnet and stuff like that, and then Motley Crue yeah, but, had like the, you know, the glam perfected. Kiss yeah, just but Kiss, like... Kiss did the Road Warrior thing on Lick It Up and Animalize yes, before yes, Rat. Yes. So right. See, I, I think you know I'm with BJ on this. To me, I think Kiss was really the one that I think started that more of the look. Obviously, everybody that was coming back around now in the '80s wanted to be Kiss from the '70s, and to me as a fan. Everything that was in 80s metal, in my mind, was just an extension of the fact that I was already into that via Kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and if you, exactly like you said, if you look at that early stuff, when they are trying to be the New York Dolls or Alice Cooper, now every 80s band was, they were a little younger. Kiss was their inspiration. How many guys said they wanted to play the guitar because of Ace? I think a lot of them were used to, you know, going, I want to be. You know, different. I want to have that look because of '70s Kiss, Motley Crue for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, but it was also it was Kiss, it was the Dolls, it was the glam rock from England. It was a lot, all of that kind of thrown in a blender. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's take a look at side one of Asylum, and we have King of the Mountain. Oh, 
Paul Stanley, Bruce Kulick, and Desmond Child. Wow, what a way to kick off an album, huh? Matt Porter, let's start with you. You know what? We had David Snowden on the Kiss Room recently, and he mentioned that that little drum bit that Eric's doing wasn't even, you know, really supposed to be on the album. That that's Eric warming up, and they happened to be rolling tape and recorded that, and he wasn't. He didn't even know it was going to be on there, and that's how they let off the album. And I think it's a great way to start the album, and I think really uh, kind of sets the tone that Eric was really doing some great things in Kiss at the time too. Mm-hmm. Bj. Yeah, this is a great song. Uh, Paul continuing his string of great album openers, you know, all through the all through the non-makeup era. Um, yeah, it's a great song. It you know, it it doesn't sound much like a Desmond Child. Where I guess Desmond Child probably just contributed some lyrics or something. Sounds mainly like a Paul Stanley song to me. Chris Caram. I think it's kind of a typical Kiss uh, opening song for the '80s. The drum solo is great. Um, <clears throat> the other the thing about that is. It's kind of not really good for me, and it's not really bad. It's just sort of in the middle. I mean, it's you know, it's decent, but I don't think it's fantastic. Or it, it doesn't like to me. It doesn't get off to a good start, like um, with Animalize and uh, I've had enough, or Lick It Up with Exciter. But it's not bad. I remember being a fan at the time, and I remember playing the beginning tr- track for people, and they'd be like, "Wow, those drums are amazing." You know what I mean? And I think that if I was a KISS fan at the time, I just would have looked at Eric Carr as a rock god. You know what I mean? If I was a little kid like I was in the 70s, it would have been the same kind of thing. Um, It says here that the song started out life during the Animalized tour with Bruce Kulick and Paul Stanley working on Idea. The ideas called from the free time on the tour would be pulled together with contributions by Desmond Child. While featuring a bombastic Eric Carr drum introduction, the song emphasized that the band had finally figured out how to capture the drums with the sonic fury of Michael James Jackson. According to Paul, a song like King of the Mountain says that everyone's got the right to feel like they're number one. That's from Rock Scene Spotlight's number two, and of course this is also on KissMonster.com, where you can get the behind the scenes of every Kiss song out there. So. The song was performed several times during the Asylum tour and even being used on one occasion as the set opener, which to me seems like a no-brainer. It should have been a consistent opener as far as I'm concerned for that. Imagine they used that to open the new tour. Half the place wouldn't know what it was. Yeah, but yeah and, they'd, and they'd leave. <laughs> nah, nah they'd, they'd go, we're here to see Kiss. That's wow. the thing about the whole set list uh, thing, and we, we're not going to get into that right now, but... If, if KISS wants to work a set, they can do it just like they did when they started out. You make them take it. You make them love it. There you go. People, let me hear you. Oh, yeah.
Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podkissed. Our next track, Any Way You Slice It, by Gene Simmons and Howard Rice. Gene initially offered the song he'd written with Howard Rice to the band Heavy Pettin'. Wow, what a great name. Along with several other songs. The writing of this song dates it to around 1982-1983. It was performed just once on the Asylum Tour, not surviving past the first show in Little Rock, Arkansas, on November 29th, 1985. Chris Sinzak, please tell us about Any Way You Slice It. I actually love this song. I think this is a strong track from Gene from the 80s. Um, I think it's even aged well. I, I mean, it... I'm just, it's not anything in-depth lyrically, but, it, I mean, Gene songs typically aren't, especially from the 80s. But, um, no, I like the riff, although if you listen to a song from Alice Cooper's From the Inside album, you'll kind of hear that riff. And, uh, oh, yeah. I can't remember the name of the song. But, uh, yeah, there's a song on Alice Cooper's album where you can hear that exact riff. But it's a great riff. And, Beverly uh, Hills? I thought yeah. I swear I was born in Beverly Hills, maybe? Uh, it's uh, uh, serious. Yeah, serious. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but... Um, no, it's a cool song, and I actually, I love Gene's vocals. Gene's vocals on this album are pretty strong. I think you almost hear a little bit of the, of the demon in his vocals on this album. Um, and it's a it's a good up-tempo song. Nothing, it's not, definitely not single material, but it's a cool song. BJ? Yeah, I agree with everything Chris said. I, I love this song. This is probably my favorite uh, Gene song from the non-makeup era. Um, really? And, uh, yeah, I love it. You're very up-tempo, and I agree, Gene's vocals are great on this record. It, you know, Gene's voice really fits well with this style of music. I know that they performed this song on the very first uh, show of the tour and then dropped it from the set list, and I'm guessing because it probably was pretty hard for Gene to sing. He goes really high on this song, yeah. and uh, yeah, I think it's great. And the, the story of how he met Howard Rice uh, he when he was living with Diana Ross in Beverly Hills and Howard Rice lived across the street. And that's how they ended up uh, meeting each other and writing together. Um, and going back to, you mentioned Heavy Pedden, that he offered this song to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a great band. Uh, their first album is awesome. I would highly recommend it to anybody. Uh, it's called Letting Loose in the UK, but it was just self-titled in the US. Mm-hmm. But I, that would have been earlier than this. So that was, he must have been offering them songs for maybe their second or their third album. But uh, yeah, this is a great song. I think Gene must have consulted his lyrical and musical cliché phrasebook for this one. I've, I've always just felt that lyrically it's just a bunch of clichés strung together. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few years back I was listening to XM Radio 60's channel and all of a sudden the song comes on. I don't remember the name of it, but all of a sudden there's a part where the singing is over the drums, just like you know, right after the solo in this song. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's where he got it from. Because it's exactly the same. Not the same lyrics, obviously, but it's the same thing where... You know, we're going, you listen to my advice, and Eric's doing that thing. So, mm-hmm. like, when I heard that, it's like, that just dropped the stock. Any stock that I had in this song, or I thought I had, dropped completely. Yeah, but how like, awesome is Let Me Be be Your King Be a, I Want Your Hornet's Nest? Well, okay, that, yeah, the lyrical greatness notwithstanding, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> well I mean, that if you're going to appreciate Gene Simmons' songs based on lyrics, good luck. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, I mean... But that, but that King Bee Hornet's Nest thing goes back to old blues songs, so... Yeah, you know, as yeah, bad as it is, it's yeah. This song just—it's just Gene like trotting out cliche. I mean, he's probably he probably did this at like in his in the in the bathroom between takes and you know consulting Variety for his next movie role. Well, that's what if, it sounds like to me. If we're gonna hammer the lyrics, let's just look at this one. I know you want to cross the border, and you know the doctor's orders. It's <laughs> that's just that means don't eat Taco Bell. 
<laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a it's a social song about immigration and how oh. you know, immigrants don't have good health care, and you know we need oh, to. Oh my lord! You're not, see, you're not seeing the subtext in this. You really yeah. aren't. I never thought a discussion of asylum would lead to discussion of immigration reform. Well, it happened. Matthew Porter. You know, you guys really summed it all up. I think really that's, to me, that was the one thing I was going to say was, uh, you know, you're saying that the lyrics aren't very deep. It depends which girl you ask. But the uh, <laughs> let me be your king bee, I want your hornet's nest ranks, I think right up there with put my log in your fireplace as Gene's greatest lyrics that you're going to laugh about forever. So it's, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you guys summed it up. I think it's a good track. What do you think of the uh, schmaltzy ending? You know, you ain't you know what, I, I agree. You know what's funny is I think, like Chris had said, that you're hearing it maybe with these earlier influences. I think, you know, Gene, I think, has always had this kind of big show, kind of a like a 50s or, you know, like a 50s kind. Of, I think he wanted to be that. You know, you've seen yeah, those shots. You know, yeah, like, a, like kind that kind of big show kind of vibe and and i think i like it i mean i don't know how it would go over live but it does always kind of make you think of like a stage show with uh you know gene in the middle and a bunch of girls in like those fan dancing costumes or something i don't know you know it's uh hey and uh prince had used that uh a little bit better and let's go crazy that same ending. Right. absolutely so Is that a big album did that you know? Did that sell anything? The Prince album. I heard that guy. I think that guy did pretty Purple. well. Purple Rain. Yeah, I think. I hear, I hear him and Vinny are going to work on a project together. Oh God. <laughs> Next. Too weird. Okay. All right.
Next track is Who Wants to Be Lonely? Stanley Desmond Child and Jean Beauvoir, who did a really good job on our podcast. That That's was, right. That was a re- yeah. He was great. Really good, really good episode. BJ, what what are your thoughts on Who Wants to Be Lonely? Brilliant song, great pop songwriting. I love it. I love this song. The video uh, is the worst Paul Stanley ever looked in his, his in his entire career, probably. But that's the one with the captain's hat. No, uh, that's all night. all night. I think. Oh, okay. Who all wants right. to be lonely? Is wearing a green, some kind of green oh, lace that, thing. Or is... something. He's got the feathered hair that's just really yeah. bad. This is the one with the volcano. Well, this is the one. He's in that oh, kind of hallway. It's like a steam, and he's like doing that kind of bouncy. Okay, yeah, walk with the kind girl, of deal. with the girl with the hose, and it was supposed to. MTV was supposed to have censored it and all that stuff. I can't yeah, keep yeah. straight. Yeah, but, we didn't see the know. uncensored, the quote uncensored version until Kiss exposed. Yeah, it had uh, four extra seconds of water or something. It, there was Imagine nothing. That, a, there a was phallic nothing. hose was going to get edited out. Now you watch TV. Now it's uh, you know. Uh, yeah. They put extra phallic hoses. In yeah. There. Right. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, that's uh, but the, I mean, the show I mean, that I watched <laughs> last night. Extra phallic hoses. Yeah. <laughs> on the A and E channel. Who Wants right. to Be Lonely it strikes me as a really uh, meticulously constructed song, and it's just sad that it was represented with that video. If it could have been marketed a little bit better to the... Because it's a, it's a great, great song, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Chris Sinzak. I agree with BJ. I think this is a contender for one of the... Be- this might be the best song that uh, Paul wrote in the 80s. I I mean, it's a great song. And like uh, I was reading in Behind the Mask about it earlier that uh, he and John had kind of reached a point where they needed somebody to tie up the loose ends so they bring in Desmond Child you know the ultimate song doctor and Desmond mentioned that Paul was kind of going for an R&B type rhythm and if you really pay attention to it it does have that it's yeah. uh it's got more of a groove than a typical rock song from 1985 would have I, it's, this one this is one of Kiss's songs that doesn't sound like it's stuck in the 80s it's a really smart song it's it's really really well done Matt? Yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, it's it's got that slower kind of sexy groove, and uh, you know, I think it it's uh, something that they could put in the set list now. It would sound as good as anything else, or better. Chris Karam? It's a really good song. I I enjoy it a lot. It was and it was a very good choice for you know a single and or video. I do remember though when I watched the video, you know, look, watching Paul doing his dance moves, and I'm like, wow, that guy can dance. You know, mm-hmm. he, he can really rock that, uh, you know, those fluorescent uh, spandex clothes. You know, it's kind of funny. It's, you look at it now and it's hilarious. Back then I was kind of like, I guess I was taking it seriously, just sort of not seeing the humor in it. And Paul proved one thing in the 80s videos, he could dance. Mm-hmm. I think that this is one of Bruce Kulick's strongest melodic things on this album. I, th- I think it's perfect, everything he does on this track. Definitely. Yeah, yeah the production on this record is really great. It is. It is. It's sad that, to me, this is a very underrated Kiss album in a lot of ways. I think that people look at the cover and judge it solely by that, and that's a big mistake. This is, 
This is one of the best 80s Kiss albums as far as I'm concerned. Okay, I'm going to rebut you on this one because I think it's an example of why Kiss and most artists should not produce themselves. I think basically what happens, and we'll talk about this in other songs, is that when you're producing yourselves, I mean, we know that, for example, that on Creatures of the Night, Gene wanted I Love It Loud and Paul wanted Creatures, and neither one liked the other, but they agreed that, if, okay, if you let this go on, I'll let this go on. And those are two good songs. Mm-hmm. This album is an example where, all right, you can put any way you slice it if, if you let me put on I'm Alive or something like that. I just think most bands, and Kiss is definitely one of them, they should not be producing themselves. Well, I think it's just, always great to have an outside ear and a guiding force, but at this point, Kiss didn't want to split the, the fees. Plus, they also kind of feel like, look, we've been doing this for how long? I think we know what we want to be. And I think that, for better or for worse, it's still the same thing that plagues them in the studio or benefits them in the studio, however you wish to look at that. But... To me, when I hear this song and I hear Tears Are Falling and even uh, All Night, there's a such great such a great sound on them. And in Trial by Fire, and, and we'll get to all these tracks. I I don't have a problem with the production as far as an audio. When you're mentioning production in this sense, you're talking about song choice. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right, that makes sense. But I, well, it's it's true. Gene had a couple of demos from this era that are are much better songs than some of his songs. Uh, we have just begun to fight. I think is from this time period, and there's another one too that I would say were probably a lot better than, you know, most of his songs on the record. I've always got the feeling that this was like animalized light. The, the, the way the album's constructed by you get this song at the beginning of the album, you get this song on side two, you get this song here, you get this song here. It's almost like they took that same blueprint and did it without that annoying uh, guitar sound of Mark St. John's, which I've always kind of felt that way about it. But Does anyone else see those similarities as far as the album construction? I think they're like sister albums. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but I don't know. I kind of like... I think overall as an album, I think I like this one better than Animalize. Me too. I, yeah, no. so do I. I think Song for Song, Asylum is definitely better than Animalize. Well, I think there's more hooks on this than on Animalize. Absolutely. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, one thing that I think would make this album over the top is if Thrills in the Night would have wound up on Asylum. I mean, I think Animalize walks all over this album. Really? Yep. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Because Mark St. John was like, I didn't know what to expect when I heard Animalize. And when I heard this, I'm like, who is this guy? You know, and, you know, blah, 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 you know, the whole Angry Bee thing. But I don't know. This Animalize just has an energy to it and a drive that this album doesn't for me. I think Gene's songs on Animalize are really weak. And I think Paul's, Paul's songs are a lot better on Asylum as well. So, See, we, we can disagree from that. We're not, you know, those people, <laughs> we, they, can, we don't disagree. We can we agree to disagree. There you go. I disagree. I disagree on that as well. Um, I concur. <laughs> this power ballad was the third video from the album but it was only released as a single in japan the release would be that country's first and last kiss 12 inch single the video was forced to be edited when it was found to be too risque <laughs> who wants to be lonely is considered a power ballad yeah i was gonna say i would not call this i, I wouldn't a ballad i wouldn't class it as all. a ballad in the slightest no well you could play this on a guitar on an acoustic guitar and make a ballad out of it definitely yeah it's, I think it's a really strong song, and it's one of those oh, that, that could be whatever you wanted it to be, if you will. A force, a pack of dogs. Exactly.
I'm going to lead off this next one. I think that this next song is a tremendous song, and it's one that seems to get picked on a lot. But when people say that Gene Simmons songs in the 80s stunk or were lyrically devoid of anything, I say, but what about Trial by Fire? And I'm sure somebody on the panel disagree with me. This song's written by Gene Simmons and Mr. Bruce Kulick. And to me, I felt that this song pretty much says everything that I want to say about my life. And uh, there's been times when I've been down that this song actually helped pick my head up. And thank you, Kiss and Gene Simmons, for that. Uh, it's it's just a really good track. And to me, it, musically, it almost sounds like it came from lick it up like here's gene's version of lick it up if you will it's the same kind of tempo same kind of pace now i'm going to turn it over to the panel and someone can tell me how wrong i am uh, bj <laughs> well i think the song is all right i definitely loved it when i was a kid more than more than now mm-hmm. um it, i i it i was gonna say it seems to me that Sometimes it seems like with Gene songs, the night before, he was like, oh, shit, I need a song tomorrow. And he started pulling out the old tapes, trying to <laughs> cobble something together. Mm-hmm. Because this was originally a demo called Live Fast, Die Young or something mm-hmm. like that. Live um, fast, yeah, exactly. die young. Die young. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It It's okay. Um, I don't know how much... I don't know how much effort Gene put into it, though. It By God, like... BJ, that would have been a perfect uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sly Stallone movie theme. Live fast, die. <laughs> and Gene could have played the villain. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. Am I going to have to make up another fake poster now? Exactly. Yep. That's what I was thinking. Oh, if you please do. <laughs> please do. I'm, 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 I expect to see it this afternoon on Facebook. <laughs> It'll be Gene and his uh, asylum get up to on the cover. Oh, that'd be awesome. Well, he could play, uh, what, Velvet? What was the character's Velvet name? Von Ragnar. Velvet Von Ragnar. We, I... just, we just watched Runaway last weekend, and God, we, my girlfriend, her son, and we were howling. <laughs> so, you like, know? if you took Velvet Von Ragnar and made him, her, it, the villain <laughs> in Cobra, this would work. Stallone versus Velvet. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood, make this movie. Anyway. I, I love the story in Chris Lentz's book where he he's, describes Paul Stanley jumping out of the car and just yelling across the parking lot like, Did you see it? Did you see it? And he was just laughing hysterically, and that was because he saw Runaway. <laughs> I love that movie. And didn't, Paul, uh, didn't he recently say... the? Uh, what what was his quip about passing gas about Gene's movies? Yeah. I think it was in his book. <laughs> well, it's still better than the movies that Paul Stanley were in. Exactly. <laughs> Young Doctors in Love, that tell you that, that outtakes a classic. Yeah. He was be, and he was trying to get into movies yeah, at the time. He was, he, might be different. he was. He denies it though. Yeah. Well we're done, is it? <laughs> it's not true, folks. We were there. Matt, your thoughts on trial by th- fire. See, I'm going to agree with you. First of all, I like Runaway, and I like Trial by Fire. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, this is where Gene is now transitioning out of the demon character to become the confident, you know, swagger character that I think he would continue really all the way through, you know, till the end at this point. I mean, obviously, it's that, you know, nothing's going to stop me. I mean, I think you could put this as a tag team partner with Yes, I Know, off you know off sonic boom and the idea that it's gene telling everybody you know yeah i'm number one and i to me like a line like only got one life to live i'm gonna live it oh yeah you know at this point 
you know, I was, I, it was exactly the kind of feeling that I had, and I think still does. You know, I think it really, it's one of those songs that I'd agree with you on the fact that, you know, when you're in a kind of a crappy mood, this is a good song. It's almost Gene as a motivational speaker, you know, telling you, you know, I don't, you know, you don't need to be all depressed. You're going to, you only got one chance. You might as well make it a good one. So I, I like it. I mean, people can argue whether it's a drum machine. I've heard that, um, you know, but I, I like it. It's a good song. When I uh, started going to the gym, this was uh, on my mix, if you will. Chris Karam? Try My Fire to me is like a sleepwalking song. It's just kind of Gene kind of, it just, I don't know, to me it just sounds like he's going through the motions to have a song on the album. And, you know, it's okay, it's not bad, it's not great, but... Well, this is the thing about fandom, because you and I are diametrically opposed on this. Like, I'm, to me, I want to, like, go, why wasn't this a single? Then the same way that I want to say, why didn't Kiss do It's My Life? Because to me, this song... This song is a similar kind of vibe, feel, and tone, along with It's My Life, except it doesn't have the big choir gang background vocals in the sense that... Uh, it was like a call and answer in It's My Life, you know what I mean? So I wish that this would have been a fourth video, a fourth uh, attempt at a single or something along those lines. I, I wish it, I wish that it would have had its shot. I think it was on the B side, maybe of Tears Are Falling, right? No, anyway, you slice it was. Uh, oh, okay. I remember, I remember using, I remember going to a pizza place and putting the using the jukebox, and I played both songs. Ah, uh, yes. Good but the, I, 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 as I mentioned, that Who Wants to Be Lonely kind of sounds more timeless and not of the '80s. This one probably should have been released as a single because I think it fits in very well with what was out in the '80s as far as singles from other bands of the same ilk. But you know, it's but it's also one that I don't think is aged well. I think it's it sounds firmly from the eighties. You know what? Actually, one thing before you go to the next one, mm-hmm. you ever listen to the end of Trial by Fire and the end of Nothing But a Good Time by Poison? Oh yeah. And they both have that perfect kind of fireworky because I'm going to <laughs> firework. You know, this would be great. So if you listen Damn, to both that's... those songs, you know what I mean. You can almost hear it. That is awesome, Matt. Are you saying Poison wasn't original? Well, but I'm saying like. It's like very much a sign of the times, but you can hear. I mean, obviously, I don't know, uh, you know, if anybody was saying, "Hey, that's the song we need to copy." But I think visually, if they were to do this live, that would be a see. great spot for all those fireworks. Yeah. More pyro! Come on, let's turn it up. Matt, do those sound effects again. God, you're just—you you continue <laughs> to amaze me every every day I talk to you. You're so amazing! <laughs> Love this. Amazing. Guy. I love this guy. Crack <laughs> uh, me up. Chris Sinzak mentioned songs that didn't age all that well, and here's one of them, I feel. I'm Alive, written by Paul Stanley, Bruce Kulick, and Desmond Child. Chris, why don't you take I'm Alive? Um, don't like it. <laughs> I This was like Paul saying, okay, we have to do a fast song and yeah. sound like a, one of those really hard-edged rock bands. and It's just... It's generic. It's 
I don't know. I just think it sucks. Chris Karam? I would elevate it uh, a notch above that. I wouldn't say it sucks. It's just, again, it's, it's sort of a typical 80s kiss side one closer. You know, let's have a driving song, and and there's not much more to it for me than that. BJ? Um, I like the song. I like it a lot. I, I think it has really funny lyrics from Paul, and it's. I think it's a good up-tempo rocker. It's not as good as uh, most of Paul's other songs on the record mm-hmm. by far, but um, I like it. Matt? You know what? I think this is if if Trial by Fire is Gene trying to con- you know portray himself as the confident kind of leader, this is Paul really establishing himself as the ladies man character like you know he doesn't want just one girl he'll have two girls and you know if he can have the nurse you know and of course he's got his 501s and you know here comes the nurse and that's that a honey that ain't no pistol yeah. whatever and you the nurse needs to together. be fed you know and i think that uh, yeah the, it's a little bit goofy but you can see i mean that's paul was trying to be that character you know the it, and it reminds me of the decline of West's civilization, you know, the metal years. He's in bed with all those girls, and he's having great thoughts, and uh, he's the deep thinker, so to speak. You know, that's I think that's the character that's in this song. Well, it's funny because, like, you hear about how Paul would look at Gene surrounding himself with models, and it's like, well, didn't you do that too? Like, here's what Matt's talking about right here. And why yeah. wouldn't you? You know, if yeah, that's exactly. the at the office, you know, hey, look, I have a great idea for the video. There'll be ten girls. <laughs> they're all in bikinis. I'm, you know, in a bed with them. Do you think we can make that happen? Let's get to work. <laughs> well, that, that line about, make, you know, I'll make sure that she's fed. Um, <laughs> it, you remember Rocky Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions? The bitch mm-hmm. is hungry, you know. <laughs> it's like, well, Wait. and he, he makes sure that if you know you, you, you have meat for breakfast, only if it's fresh. So it's oh uh, my. <laughs> well, that, well, you know, "Rock You Like a Hurricane" is English as a second language. Yes, <laughs> yes. One of the lines of that song. Exactly, exactly. And this is it's, that's the quote. That's the quote of the day. <laughs> oh man, what a great song though! <laughs> "Rock You Like a Hurricane" still. You get in the car and you're driving, bang, it just <laughs> takes off. It's a great song. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, the drums in this song are really good. The the one lyric that, you know, to me, people say that Gene's always scraping the bottom of the barrel, and I think it's hard to believe Desmond Child and Paul Stanley both contributed lyrics to this, like, take a look in the book of love, man, it's understood right to the letter, and I wonder if those letters are big enough, but that's, you see where we're kind <laughs> of... <laughs> But this, to me, sounds like a Gene uh, lyric here. I've learned my lesson, my golden rule. You know, I made the teachers stay after school. It sounds like they they got that, you know, was Gene's book just sitting on the council? Well, the the letters are in Braille, so you have to reach out and touch them, so to speak. Ah, okay. Side one of Asylum. You wanted the best, you got the best. And if you want the hottest show on Monco Radio, join us in the Kiss Room.
The Kiss Room is a monthly radio broadcast celebrating the hottest band in the world. Kiss! It's your place for all things Kiss and some... For broadcast dates and all information, go to thekissroom.com. The Kiss Room broadcasts live and worldwide on Monco Radio, where music and minds meet. Every year, tragedy affects us all, whether it be a news reporter, a radio announcer, or an interviewer mispronouncing Mr. Ace Fraley's name. How many times has this happened to you? How many times have you wanted to throw your shoe at a television or kick a radio into a pool? I am Ian Farthington III, and I am here today to speak out on public awareness to properly pronounce Ace Frehley's name. It is not freely. It has never been freely. It never will be freely. So please, while you can, inform other people that it is indeed Ace Frehley. Ace Frehley. It's Frehley, not freely. This message paid for by the committee to make sure that people know Ace Frehley's name is indeed Ace Frehley. Tell someone while you can that Ace Frehley's name is indeed Ace Frehley. It's Frehley, not freely. Thank you. <laughs> On the next podcast, join us as we discuss Side 2 of Asylum. Thank you for listening. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkiss crew, thank you for listening to Podkiss, the KISS fanzine for your ears. Well, for uh, Chris Sinzak mentioned songs that didn't... that, that God, I'm going to learn to talk someday. It's my goal. <laughs> See, and it reminds me of the, the history of... Med- oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> It reminds me of something that I can't remember. What decline? The metal years? Decline of Western civilization. You are listening to the Podkiss Network. You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. That's right, gang. You requested it. Finally, a monthly monkey's podcast is coming your way. Follow us as we discuss the adventures of Mickey, Mike, Davey, and Peter. That's right, the monkeys. Take some time out of your busy day and monkey around with us. So join us on Zilch, the podcast full of monkeys. God, you're just, you, you continue to amaze me. Every every day I talk to you, you're so amazing. Love this amazing. guy. Amazing. I love this guy. 
Uh, Cracked me up.